Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with James Case, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer with Baptist Health. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. James, thanks for joining me. Um, thank you very much. It's nice to be here. All right. Looking forward to a nice chat. So, James, um, tell me a little bit about your organization and, and your role. Ooh, organization, we are a five-hospital system in Northeast Florida across four or five counties with many, many doctor's offices as well, and freestanding EDs. Um, we're the only locally owned and governed health system in Northeast Florida, uh, so that's very nice. Um, and my role as CISO is new. Uh, it, it was a new position created late in uh, 2021, which is, uh, I think, a good testament to the investment and the priority that the health system is making in cybersecurity. Right, because without the role of a CISO, I really feel, you know, not enough attention, not enough of the right conversations are happening at the right levels and the right planning and the right identification of pain points without that role. And really, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, a really key thing that I've been thinking about for years. Yeah, it sort of demonstrates to the organization how seriously uh, leadership takes security, right, by having that role. Yeah. Very good. All right. Um, I always like to, you know, CISOs are an interesting bunch. They come from all different uh, avenues to arrive where they do. Uh, you certainly have had an interesting uh, journey. A uh, few highlights here, then you can take us through it. You studied electrical engineering um, and CISOs have probably studied all different kinds of things. And then it looks like um, you've sort of bounced around between financial services and healthcare, financial services and healthcare. And interestingly, at the beginning of my journalism career, I covered the use of technology on Wall Street and financial firms. So oh, cool. um, spoke to a lot of CIOs, buy side firms uh, many years ago. Yeah. Uh, but tell me a, a little bit, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you wound up where you are today. Uh, and what what drew you to, you know, healthcare information technology? Yeah, good question. I mean, I would say the key parts are project management, right? Starting a project management, infrastructure project management, and uh, really learning, I'll say the entire infrastructure. So it's, you know, so the, all the wireless networking, storage, servers, applications, nursing, you know, nursing hands-free, you know, things, um, really rolling all that out. And then it's, and several security projects. So that's really what got me into security about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then we didn't have, you know, 12 years ago, didn't have a formal security program. So I, I really kind of took over the security program, which at the time, if you said security at Baptist Health 12 years ago, it'd be, well, the team in charge of, you know, doing access management, right? Mm -hmm. That's really all it back then really was. It was less focused on cyber, cyber, cyber. And so uh, I took over the team and started really consolidating, bringing in the network security and all the different pieces of security and built the program out and uh, worked with a firm, you know, like Fishnet Security to do a security program review and um, built out the program really from there, you know, the, the policies, the framework, all the governance. So, Yeah, I'm wondering, so uh, most, a lot of CISOs come out of infrastructure. Um, that's what we hear. Um, what do you think makes uh, one diverge uh, to either go so to focus on security or to perhaps more go the CIO route? And I know that some CISOs do become CIOs, um, but is there sort of an inclination that you think would cause one to to either 
again, go that C CIO route and focus there or to specialize in security and wind up as a CISO? Yeah, my thought would be just your interest. Yeah. Where you have an affinity for, where you're, where you find yourself reading on the weekends and at night. I, to me, that I think that's really what what I have found. I, I mean, I'm I'm interested in in technology, but I have no desire to be the CIO. I, I'm I am I am happy at this. What I'll say, kind of the final you know peak of my career. I'm very happy uh, because I like focusing on security because I think that's a big enough chunk to worry about and be stressed about over the weekends and at night. Um, is there a relationship between interest in IT security and interest in law enforcement type issues? Is that related? I I wouldn't say there is, but certainly there's got to be some overlap there. Right? I certainly yeah. stay in touch with FBI and right. DHS on a regular basis, and we share ideas and threat intelligence and ideas and strategies and education. So you wouldn't but, be a cop if you didn't do this? No. <laughs> you, you, would you be in the FBI? I would be doing some other nerd job, okay. some sort of technology, something or other. Yeah. Well, there are more and more a lot of nerdy jobs in law enforcement, right? I mean, sure. either in the accounting, IRS, following the money, you know, yeah. all kinds of stuff, though. Anyway, very kind of interesting stuff. Um, you were hired. Were you hired on by Aaron Meary? He's a sort of a friend of our publication. And I looked at the timing and, and he was there a few months before you came on. I've it is not him. a coincidence, no. Yeah, so I've known I've known him for many years at many different organizations he's been at. Um, did you know him before? And and sort of how did how did that come about? I did not. No, I met him uh, just through his role at starting a Baptist, and you know I think people just said, "Hey, you know, call James," and he did, and we had a few calls and had dinner one night, and here we are. Okay, so um, I would describe Aaron as, to me, he's one of the, the outstanding CIOs in the industry. I mean, his energy and his passion is second to none. And I've interviewed many, many CIOs over the years, and he's a very impressive guy. Um, what's he like to work for? Yeah, good question. I, I would say <laughs> the word inspirational comes to mind. High inspirational? Energy, high energy and inspirational is what resonates Every time we interact, whether it's a text, a phone call, a face-to-face, -face, a group meeting, uh, having dinner, whatever it is, just every interaction, I'm left with that thought of, yes, the, the, the like, you know, high energy, but also inspirational. Right. And, and I'm guessing you, I know he's a very security-minded CIO, and mm -hmm. I'm sure they vary in terms of their focus on security. They probably all have a general interest in security and awareness of it, but you, like anything else, you're gonna have gradations of their knowledge of it, comfort with it, interest in it. I would describe him as a very security savvy CIO yeah. um, and certainly inspirational. I'm sure when you talk to him, he is always emphasizing the importance of your role. It's probably says things like, it's absolutely number one stakes to play need this yeah. lockdown. So that makes you feel good that my Absolutely. role is valued here, right? Right. So so maybe add to my answer a second ago, these, the level of support, right? Kind of yeah. what you just described is a, to me, a level of support, the importance, the, the you know, being in, in the right conversations at the right time to identify the risk, right? And then, you know, really, I think a key part of my job is to make sure that informed decisions are made based on risk by the right people So at the end of the day. Right. And and so in terms of what a CISO needs from their CIO, it's that kind of stuff. It's support, backing, encouragement. Um, a thousand percent. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I don't know. I, I wonder if they all get it probably again to different degrees. Uh, and it might be yeah. frustrating to work in an environment where you may not get that much support. Um, you, you wrote, uh, it was a LinkedIn, one of your LinkedIn posts I saw, and I think it, you were either commenting on an article about the CISO CEO relationship and how transparency is key. And it was important that I think you were talking about questions that, uh, CEOs should be asking their CISOs. Can you just give us some thoughts about that? What, what you were talking about there? Yeah. I mean, two points there, right? So Things that, that people hire in the organization, so CEO, for example, should be asking, it also touches on transparency, right? But but yeah, I, I just think that the article is all about, it just resonated with me about kind of ideas for ty- types of questions that that senior, senior leadership should be asking about the risks, you know, to the organization. Are we, how are we doing on this? How are we doing on that? Do we have any risk here? Because I guess at the end of the day, silence doesn't mean things are okay, right? So silent, you know, leave me alone, just let me do my thing is not is not necessarily the right thing for the organization. And so I think it takes those dialogues, takes that transparency to, to have those conversations to make sure the risks are understood because every organization has risk, cyber risk, whether they're talking about it or not, or they're managing it or not, and they're or they're prioritizing it or not, it's there. Right, right. So, you know, I guess if you're a CEO and is it dangerous, would you say, to just assume that, hey, I have a CIO, I have a CISO, security has got, uh, they they got that. I don't need to know about it. I don't need to ask about it. But I think your point is you need to have some level of knowledge because you need to make sure you can't just, you can't just uh, sort of wipe that away and not worry about it. That is exactly right on. That's, I, I, so I, I couldn't have said it better. Yep. Okay. And and some uh, maybe any more detail on those high level things you want CEOs to be curious about and to sort of inquire about. Sure, yeah, it's cyber risk, right? Where where do we have the highest risks? Like, you know, what keeps you up at night, right? Those are certain things. Where are we the most exposed? You know, if I could help support you in one more way, what would that be? Um, you know, are we protected against ransomware? Maybe start getting you know more specific. What are our highest risks for ransomware? Right. Nobody's perfectly protected against it, but, but but what is each organization doing to to identify their their readiness, right? Um, from a you know ransomware safe backups, could we really restore things if we need it? All those sort of questions should be asked, and and the information should be shared because every organization has those risks, but how how well are they, they being managed, and 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 really mitigated, and what's left on the table that's risk is is it low enough, right? Yeah, I'm thinking about a CISO's exposure to the CEO and the board. Um, what do you What do you have in terms of your exposure? Are you does Aaron sort of you know bring you in in, in different meetings and then says turns mm-hmm. it over to you to to explain security issues? Do you ever wind up in front of the board? What do you have going on, and what do you think is sort of a best practice? Maybe. Yeah, that that makes me think a whole bunch of things. So yes, Aaron brings me in on all sorts of things. Uh, our our CEO Michael Mayo is very very engaged and and, and interested in cyber. Uh, really, I mean, a really shining example. I mean, good timing for this interview is last week we had a, a large tabletop exercise for a cyber event. We had our entire you know CERT response team there, and our CEO was present. Our COO, our CFO, and more senior leadership uh, for the entire three hour exercise. So I think that, I mean, so for three hours, 
we went through an entire event about here's the first call, here's what would we do, and here's what we would do, and here's what we just learned, all the way through ransomware, should we pay the ransom, right? We had those difficult conversations, and he and they were present for the entire meeting. And so I think that's a great example of, of direct you know, face-to-face questions, light bulb moments, conversations that we had that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So that was a tabletop, what we call a tabletop exercise. Um, let's go into that a little bit. Um, and I've heard, I've heard different opinions on those. They, there is some value there uh, with tabletop exercises, but they do have their limitations in terms of what they show you. And there should be a, sure. a, so if, if tabletop is valuable, tell me how it's valuable and what is the next level after that? This, again, they're saying you don't, you're not going to see everything you need from a tabletop. You're going to have to go beyond that. What is beyond that? Yeah. So the value from a tabletop is really the readiness, right? Practicing those skills you hope you don't have to use. Forcing conversations that you wouldn't have had otherwise, finding where you can, because you, you can always improve, right? So we mm-hmm. had a handful of things, you know, uh, that we need to improve, like making sure we have a really good offline copy of our plan accessible, right? So the scenario we went through is, is you know, network down, email down, servers down, right? Well, so will we have a copy of our, of our IR plan available? Maybe not, right? So that was an action item, you know, that I really came out of that. Um, so again, I think those are the main benefits. Also raising the awareness of risk, right? We had risk conversations in that meeting with those, uh, with all of those key leaders that they wouldn't have known otherwise, right? That we don't, that we're not in the room talking about this together. And so it really helped drove those conversations, raise those awareness, provide that education to the team and awareness. So I think those are the really key benefits. And again, then action items to improve. Um, where to go from there would be, um, you know, doing a smaller tabletops with your technical teams, right? So kind of doing different flavors of tabletops. I don't think there's one tabletop that fits all. I believe that what we did last week is the most important tabletop. But then we also do tabletops internally with engineering and, and also security engineers and going through kind of the technical aspects of a scenario. Uh, and then I guess maybe there's breach attack simulation, right? Where we where we do have, you know, pay a company to, to pen test. And, and that to me is another type of sort of tabletop-ish where, where we're practicing those skills, you know, can we detect them? Can we prevent them, right? Those are all to me variations of practicing and learning and, uh, and, and really preparing for events that we hope that we don't ever have. So, yeah, so the interesting thing is with the with the tabletops and anything like that, the key, obviously, is to make it as realistic as possible, be as detailed as possible, so we can actually, because that's that's where uh, you depart from practice into reality. When, when it really happens, oftentimes there's that one element that you go, oh, this is this right. We didn't envision that or we didn't see these multiple things happening at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. you do your best there. And then you need a very good process to uh, take those lessons learned and bake them back into the plan. Because if you don't do that, it was a waste of time, right? Or we learned something, but we didn't capture it. So right. can you give me some thoughts on, on that process of making sure we capture what we've learned from these exercises, bake it into the new plan, and then do it again. And that's how things continue to get better. Hundred percent. Yeah, but again, some of the benefit is just having the exercise. That's part, yeah. and and then the other part, as you said, is making sure that we capture all the improvements, right? And so what I did is I sent out the notes and I assigned action owners, and mm-hmm. and then some are me, 
Some are my team, some are other folks. And so uh, it's a matter of keeping that on the front burner, following up, making sure that we have deadlines and then closing that out. And then at the start of, of, of the next exercise, you know, making sure that it's all done and that we're prepared and we've improved and we can find new things to improve on. Right. It just made me think of you're talking about printing out a copy of the plan, right? If all the network, do we have a copy printed out? And right in my head automatically goes, okay, we have a copy printed out. We made some changes to the plan online. Did anybody print out a new copy? Right. right? Because these are the little things that, oh, we yep. got an old plan. Nobody. So it's just very interesting, that whole process. Talk to me more about the pen testing. This is with the blue and red teams. And I've heard CI, CISOs really rave about this. Uh, now, it takes some humility because a lot of times uh, many things are exposed. And you're there supposed to make sure things aren't, there aren't holes. You, you hire these people to come in and they show all these holes. Obviously right. it's a worthwhile exercise, but it does take some humility and courage to be the one yeah. that calls them in to expose your weaknesses. But yeah, I, I think humility is a good word, right? Cause you can't, cause you're always going to have weaknesses. And so it's about finding them before the bad guys do, right? Mm -hmm. Like we could sit back and wait for the attackers to find it, or we could pay somebody to help us find it. And even if it's like, oh my gosh, blaring, well, we then it's high priority. We fix it right away and we retest to make sure it's closed out. And then we and then we look at the lessons learned. Well, how did that happen? What process broke down that allowed that to occur? Right. Did somebody turn on some or, or expose some application that didn't follow the right process to do it in the right way to be validated, approved, tested before it's out there? Right. All those sort of things to make, you know, where did that process break down? So all those things are really part of it that are in that lessons learned out of a pen test, right? Uh, and also pen test means different things to different people, right? So anytime in a conversation like this, when, when somebody says pen test, it's, you know, there's network pen test, there's external pen test, there's internal pen test, there's web application pen test, there's mobile app. So there, there are many different types and they're not the same thing at all, really. They're all very, very different in scope and what you get out of it. And you really need all of it to some degree based on your organization. If you have those sort of things and you use those sort of things, so... And do you do all different kinds? I mean, can you tell me any more about some best practices in, do you use the same company? And I, you don't have to name them, but do you use the same company and say, I'm going to do a whole bunch of different pen tests with you guys. Here's where we're going to start. Yeah. Or, I mean, how does that sort of get arranged in terms of where you want to focus the pen testing? And then um, is there any way these can go wrong in terms of causing damage to your operations or interrupting your operations or um, yes. causing some sort of damage to devices that, you know, you're not like the medical devices, hands off. So thoughts yeah. there? Well, we, we, uh, we purposely change vendors. So with great intention, we don't always use the same vendor, right? Because different vendors are going to use different techniques and have different strengths and weaknesses. So we, we intentionally rotate through. Uh, and then, yeah, there's definitely ways it can go wrong. And so it's a matter of setting up the rules of engagement, right? And um, but we want to maximize the value. So we don't want to just kind of neuter the whole test, right? So right. we come out clean, right? So it, there's definitely a, for each of those scopes where we define that rules of engagement. And um, we always try to err on the side of finding what we can. But certainly, uh, right, medical devices are, are normally hands-off, but those are also firewalled off and really protected and isolated, right? That's really the main strategy there because, there are always going to be medical devices, right? At, at HIMSS two weeks ago, right? That was kind of a common theme across all week, right? Medical devices, medical devices. And, and that many of them still, are, even the big ones, the big names 
are running old versions of software that can't be updated or won't be for a long time. And so really all you can really do as a, as a security leader is make sure that you have the right policies and also procedures in place in the networking team and isolating to, to make sure that it, it either cannot talk to the outside or if it does, it talks to only on the port and protocol and IP that it, that it needs to do for the really minimum necessary, right? I mean, that's really what it is. Is, is that what we call network network segmentation? Or is that Absolutely. Another, yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah. that's the term. That, that yeah, but I would say that the medical devices is, is a key area that needs to get its segmentation, you know, kind of high priority segmentation, mm -hmm. if you will, right. versus yeah. printers necessarily. And, you know, kind of the more normal segmentation, which is also important. But if I was going to rank them in, in order of priority, it would be, you know, kind of the whole medical devices first, really. All right, very good. All right, I'm going to ask kind of an open-ended question. You can go wherever you want with this. Uh -oh. um, from a big picture point of view, what are uh, the top one or two things you're working on? Or if you don't want to talk about that, um, a couple of the most in important trends that you see that you think are going to be impactful, you're keeping an eye on. I would say top top key things that come to mind are NIST CSF, right? We are migrating from a kind of a hybrid ISO NIST policy framework and also security framework from 10 years ago to purely NIST CSF, right? So we're going to standards-based best practice, uh, which is a journey, right? I mean, if you talk to other CISOs, it's not a one month, six months, even one year, right? It's, it's a journey to get there. And we're, we, we've ranked the, the program areas, you know, access management, for example, in order of priority where we wanna see the most improvement the fastest. Um, so that's one of our key strategic initiatives for, for 2022, which will bleed into 2023 as well. That's NIST CSF? Yeah, cybersecurity framework is what it stands for. Is is what's the relationship um, between that and zero trust? Is that a zero trust type model or is it no, very different? There's no direct relationship, although NIST did publish a, a framework or, or not a framework, but a publication on, on zero trust. So, I mean, the, the same standards organization has developed or published information on both, but but the security framework is a security framework, right? It's policy. It, it, it really sets the tone for, for the for the program, right? It's where you uh, really educate folks on, here's the framework, here's how we're gonna govern things, right? It's about what do you have in place from a procedure perspective and a control perspective, where zero trust is is, is a philosophy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a philosophy and an architecture more than a framework, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, and, and so you're sort of, would you say you're picking NIST CSF and, and CISOs might be able to pick from a few different frameworks that, that have been put sure. out? We hear yeah, about I, a lot of different things. So if you pick this one, what is it about this one that you said, this is the one we're going to do? Yeah, good question. I mean, high trust is another popular one that's similar, right? They're all, they all have overlap and there's mappings, you know, between all of them, but high trust is similar. Uh, high trust is a little more rigid and a, and a little more, uh, um, I'll say expensive, right? It costs more. I mean, not that we're not spending a fair amount to get NIST CSF deployed, but um, yeah, I guess, you know, I really think of high trust as something that if you're going to go out and like be a vendor where you're offering a service, that's really where I think high trust makes more sense because you can advertise I'm, I'm high trust certified, right? Where NIST CSF is really the best practice and, and really speaking to my peers, really most of them are doing NIST CSF. So that really helped kind of solidify that we were going the right direction, you know, hearing that from peer, you know, you know, other CSOs across the, the industry. 
And is this the kind of thing where you do get sort of that stamp at some point, or is this just something you say, we work towards this, this is what we're trying to do? Yeah, good question. There really is no NIST CSF certification per se, but there are assessors who will assess your, your maturity. And so it's really about where are you in that maturity on your journey? You know, are you a level one, a level two, a level three or four, right? And so uh, you, you, so we have our baseline set and we've set our targets for where we want to be in the different categories. And really the whole implementation is, is working our way up to that level that we want to be for each of those areas of the program. It's nice to have a roadmap. Right. To say, here's what we're going forward. This has been endorsed. And this, I would imagine, is one of the regulatory kind of promulgations where if you adhere to it or show you were doing your best to adhere to it, you're given forgiveness if there's an incident. Right. Yeah. It's about due diligence and making sure that there's no gross negligence anywhere. Right. We want to make sure that we're constantly assessing, constantly improving. Uh, we always want to prioritize, make sure we're focused on the highest risk, but certainly the balance there is if we change our priorities every day, we might get nothing done ever. So right. we have to be careful about any kind of reprioritization. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's about focusing on the highest priority, solving and really mitigating the highest risk, and then move on to the next item. One of the, the, the sort of observations I've made uh, regarding CISOs and regarding the way the industry is going is that they need more than ever about the actual operations of the health system because as we talk about possibly you know with third party risk we talk about applications going offline we talk about possibly a ransomware incident having to go to paper and then back to an electronic environment again there's no way for cisos to manage that process without sort of really knowing the operations and understanding the implications of mm-hmm. any particular application going out and to understand that you need to talk to the people that are using it to understand the criticality of it the implications of it not being available uh and then sort of game plan through tabletop through if this happens and we know this we are going to tell you and what are you going to do like what is your plan if this application is not available and then with the process of coming back up again when we're ready to go back up, when do you, who do I talk to? So, and there's a million departments in the hospital, but to me, the point is that it's more involved than ever before this whole process. So CISOs need to be having these conversations. And I just like your thoughts around that. Yeah. I mean, again, half of, or most of what you just said reminded me of our tabletop last week, right? Because we were talking to the incident command center lead, right? Our COO about that exact conversation about the key applications, you know, radiology, the EMR and, and so forth and lab and how if those systems are offline, the impacts, right? And so we, we talked through the what if that was offline for a day or two days or a week. And those exact conversations happened last week and it was during a tabletop, but absolutely. I think part of it's about having to me key, uh, uh, like really ownership. It goes back to ownership. And to me, a big part of, of my security leadership is making sure that each application, each system has a business owner and a technical owner, right? And making sure that they're that they're not only identified, but they're aware of their role and their responsibility of, of articulating everything you just said around what if it goes offline? What are those backup procedures and, and, the, and, and the downtime procedures and being involved in and defining the, the enterprise criticality of the application, right? That's not an IT decision. No. I mean, it's a business decision all day long. That's absolutely the point, right? They need to make the decisions, but you need to explain to them, take them through scenarios. 
right? So they understand this is what could happen. What would happen to your operations if this did happen, right? You need to have this conversation. So um, you mentioned a lot of people being involved in this tabletop, a lot of key people. Mm-hmm. Um, they all, you know, and that's why it's got to come from the top, right? It just is, yeah. They need to know, hey, you have to be here. So because everyone's busy, everyone's busy. Is that an issue that CISOs have to work through is getting getting the time buy-in and commitment from operational leaders to work through these things? Because I would imagine some of these people are hard to pin down. You've got, uh, you know, these different people in charge, uh, the clinicians, and I don't have time for this. You figure it out. You, I don't know why I need to be in on this. So how does that play out on the ground? To me, everything comes back to risk. At the end of the day, we're all risk managers. Right. Everything we do is a risk management decision. And if they're not involved, then that's higher risk. Right. And so uh, and, and really priorities and risk management is really my answer. And so it's they need to prioritize it. And so if they don't, <clears throat> then to me, that translates to risk and and making sure that we're all clear on those risks and that we're raising those risks up. Um, I mean, again, those are the two things that really come to mind and, and it's support. Right. So, Aaron. If we had any struggle, I think Aaron would have stepped in and really pushed. I didn't ask. He didn't have to. We, we didn't need to go down that road because they were there. They were like, how can I help? I mean, again, the organization and, and the leadership uh, has been really since since I started you know, back in December, how can I help? And so I haven't had to go down those roads, but certainly my peers have talked about it and shared stories about trying to get the attention, trying to get the, the focus from the organization operationally. So that doesn't just happen everywhere. And so I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate to have the, the you know, team that I have to work with on that. And that's a difficult place to be if you don't have that support. If you're trying to get these meetings and get these exercises done and the people you're trying to get there are not cooperating and you go to your CEO or your CIO mm-hmm. and they say, listen, they're busy. What do you want me to do? Right. And therefore you you have. But this is not. This is not strange things I'm talking about. As you mentioned, this happens. This happens, uh, and it probably happens a lot. Um, and I would imagine that's probably a, a frustrating position for a security professional being because they're not letting you reduce the risk. They're not engaging to the point right. that you can reduce the risk, right? Yeah, and again, it all comes down to risk. I'm sure you know my team and everybody is tired of hearing me say the word risk 10 times a day. But at the end of the day, Hey, we can't get emotional, right? Because otherwise we'd be crying all day long, right? So we have to just focus on the risk, prioritize and make sure the right people make the, you know, really informed decision based on that risk. To me, that's my one liner for my job, if I had to say in one line. Yeah, risk, risk, risk. Well, you could say it uh, as many times as you want to me. Um, we're, We're about out of time, James. That was a quick half hour and I really appreciate it. Is there any Final thought, uh, in your work, in your career, in your experience, if you were going to give your fellow CISOs one little nugget that, that you've said, hey, just to me, this has been the key to any success I've found over the years is, is, is doing this. What, what key would to you success. Say? I mean, my one nugget I was thinking right before you said key to success, but the one nugget I was thinking, it all goes back to uh, I'm passionate and I wrote you know, something on, on, on LinkedIn about that the business leadership must be involved in, in, in cyber risk. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, cyber risk is business risk, right? Yeah. IT is only there to support the business. IT wouldn't be there without the business. So we all need to keep that in mind that we're just custodians and we're there to support and partner. And that at the end of the day, when we're prioritizing where to spend the last dollar, where to focus, the business should be involved in that. Because if the system goes offline or is broken or loses data, 
then it's a business risk. You know, it's a patient care, you know, possible impact. And so, so those leaders need to be involved in that. And so that's, that's where I'm really passionate. To me, that guides every decision, every conversation. Uh, and so that's really my main thing that really resonates in my mind when I think about cybersecurity leadership. Yeah. And so if you've got that support, great. And if you don't, I'm guessing you would say keep working, use your passion to keep communicating that this risk exists and it should be dealt with. Absolutely. Yep. All right, James, that's about all we had time for today. Fantastic talk today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day.